Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. And if this is the first time that you're listening, make sure that you click the follow or subscribe button on whatever platform it is that you listen on. You can also find clips on YouTube to watch, and you can follow on social media at Real Curious Jones. Drop me a note. Let me know where you're listening from. Tell me about some interesting guests that I should have on. Some of the coolest guests actually have come from listeners sending me recommendations. So I check that stuff out and I appreciate it. My guest today is a pilot and he's very active on social media. I started to follow his social media accounts before I found out that he actually flies out of a small airport that's 15, 20 minutes from where I live. And ever since then, I've made it a point to keep kind of tracking what he's up to. Um, he's big on TikTok and Instagram, where he shares a lot of videos of him training other people. So he was a uh, flight trainer. And uh, it's cool. He goes over scenarios. And as somebody who's fascinated with flying, I was really like, kind of drawn to what he shares. And uh, he does it in a fun way. And so I reached out to him. And interestingly enough, he is leaving for a flight school. Um, I think he's moving up class. So he currently flies Cessnas. Um, he's going to be flying a larger plane. Uh, and so the journey continues. And I was fortunate enough to get him on the show before he takes off for three months, no pun intended. Uh, and so we had a great conversation. We talked about his journey into flying, talked about some of the different stories he has from being up in the air. And like I should have expected, uh, we got into some discussions around UFOs. And uh, Rich is actually kind of a, I think he's a little bit of a UFO freak. So uh, we talked a good portion of the tail end of this podcast about UFOs, and we may or may not have some stories to have shared. So give it up for my guest, Rich Rafferty. like epic failure ever and uh, completely forget to record a, a great conversation because that's what would happen but, hey man <laughs> been there hey yeah thank you so much for taking the time and i'm catching you it sounds like the perfect time before you head off on a whole new journey um specific to flying you're correct i leave on saturday so this is uh i'm glad we were able to get this in before i go yeah it was it was strange i've been you know, following your social media accounts for quite a while. And honestly, for a few months before I even knew that we lived relatively close together, I saw a post um, that you made. And I'm like, wait a second, like you were referring to a small area or a small town close to where I live. I think you were like flying to Dubois or something like that. I'm like, shit, I, I grew up in the northwestern part of Pennsylvania. I live in Butler County now, just north of Pittsburgh. And you fly out of Butler County airport so uh small small world yeah man yep i grew up in wexford so not too far south from there um but yeah i've been flying out of butler for the last two years so small world for sure yeah so i, I guess maybe just the the obvious question that maybe leads into everything but you know wh what drove you into wanting to fly airplanes yeah loaded question <laughs> A lot of people in aviation are like, oh, I knew from the minute I came out of the womb, you know, <laughs> that uh, that wasn't my journey. I I found aviation when I was in college. So I actually went to Liberty University for business. And throughout my time there, there were some things that happened. I actually got surgery on my knee and it kind of just changed the course of what I was there to do. I had initially set out to do business and I was studying that for my first two years. And when I got surgery on my knee, I wasn't able to do all the things that I like to do as far as snowboarding and, and jujitsu and all the different, um, you know, extracurricular activities that kept me busy. And so when I found myself with all the extra time where I just couldn't walk and I had to pretty much just focus on what I was learning in school and sitting on the couch, I realized I didn't really like what I was learning too much in business. What kind so, of knee injury did you have? I tore my meniscus. Okay. Uh, it was from a combination of different sports that I was partaking in at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm big into jujitsu myself. I actually just tore my LCL. And so I'm 
about two months back after being off for almost three months. So um, we probably know some similar people from that world. If you did any jujitsu in like the Pittsburgh area. So I really haven't. I, um, I was in the jujitsu club at Liberty Oh, and yeah, when I got out of school, I never really officially went to a gym. I, I checked out a couple of them, but they're so expensive yeah. And, um, it just, it just wasn't the right time for me, but I did, I do train with some buddies. One of my, one of my good friends from high school has a bunch of mats in his basement and uh, we go over there and roll, you know, for a while we were doing it every week, but anymore, it's more like once a month, but, yeah. uh, yeah. So, I, so I, <laughs> I, I respect what, you know, that you're on, you're on the come up back from the knee injury, man. It's quite a journey. I don't know if you watch knees over toes guy on uh online but he was he's he's changed the game for me man he got me back my knees are are equal again which is huge for me so well just like me finding you i it's it's, i find everything online i'm it's kind of pathetic but in a way it's i don't know if i should look at it that way because there's so much information that's available and if you just if you put your focus into the right stuff there's a lot of great information online if you can kind of block out all of the negative but he's somebody who i've really put a lot of focus into I do a lot of like pulling a sled backwards and try to like really focus on getting deep bend at my knees to help and it's fantastic if anybody has knee problems definitely go look them up on YouTube his videos are super informative um, I've been trying to do that and I heard about a guy um, we're getting like way off topic but I love this stuff uh, he, he's actually <laughs> a, a back expert <clears throat> and he talks about how you can stretch a certain way and actually unlock a back that's tight because your back muscles will lock in place as a way to protect like an injured vertebrae or lumbar vertebrae. And so if you stretch a certain way, it'll actually solve this problem. And I'm making it seem way simpler than it is. Um, The guys (laughs) worked with David Goggins, but also Eddie Bravo. So a jujitsu guy, and um, he's based out of San Diego and he actually does some stuff in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns as well. So um, I'm blanking on his name, but he's look him up, uh, if you guys have back injuries too. Um, but yeah, no, back to the flying. So you're in college, you have an injury and something about flying catches your attention. Yeah, I was, I found myself a little bit depressed when I had the, the knee injury because I just, I wasn't able to do all the things that I love to do. And I was honestly like, pretty deep into lucid dreaming at the time this is kind of off topic but i was <laughs> dreaming about flying all the time and so that was kind of something that i realized that i was looking forward to going to sleep so i could fly and do all the things that i like to do which is a sign of depression by the way so is that um, like is that what was happening like you were so you're a little bummed out going through some slight depression and so you started dreaming about something that seemed extremely real because of how much you wanted to do it in a way. Yeah. At the time I didn't even know that that's what was happening. I just knew that I enjoyed the sensation of flying in my dreams. (laughs) And I at some, at a certain point, I literally was like, I need to just figure out how to get that sensation and something I enjoy that much while I'm awake. And I, I was actually like actively hating my business classes at that point. Um, so I realized I need to change. And I thought about dropping out of school because I knew I just was wasting my money at that point. And I looked up the highest paying jobs without a college degree on the internet and flying was like number three on the list. And so a combination of that, and then I had already been having all these dreams And I knew one person at school that was already doing that program who lived on my hall a couple years before when I was a freshman. Uh, So I just kind of all combination of all those things kind of got me down the rabbit hole to the point where I was um, going to take a discovery flight, my first lesson. And once I did that, it was game over. That was the end of it. I knew from that moment that that was what I was going to do. There was no more question. How hard was it for you to find, like from that moment, okay, I'm going to do it, and you start seeking it out? Did it take a while before you were able to find a program or a location where you could take that first discovery flight? 
Not really. Um, my mom had a friend <laughs> who is actually a, an instructor and a examiner for the FAA. So I was able to call her before I ever took the discovery flight. And she kind of gave me a brief overview of the whole process. Okay. And so that was, that was helpful. But as far as picking a place, there's a lot of options. People would be surprised. Like there's four really good flight schools just in the Pittsburgh area. I worked at one in Butler, but there's a few other ones that are, that are also pretty good. Um, and that's just in Pittsburgh. I mean, they're all over. So there was a lot of options. I ended up doing my discovery flight in Zelianopol. Um, at the time, that was, I don't, I really don't even remember how I got hooked up there. I think we just Googled it and that's the one that popped up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so that was how that got started. And then I ended up starting my training in Ocean City, Maryland in the following summer. And that was only because I had a friend from college that invited me to live out there with him for the summers. So that's how it happened. <laughs> so how many hours do you have currently right now logged? A thousand and two hours right now. A, th- a thousand and two hours. <laughs> yep. And that and you started flying how many years ago? Five years ago. Five years ago. Yep. Has has your confidence in flying? I'm assuming you had flown before. Like on an airline. Comer- like on a commercial air flight, right? So yes. Is your confidence higher today or lower today flying on a commercial airline, knowing what you know being a pilot? Or has it not changed at all, really? I would say definitely higher. Yeah. I just understanding how rare it is for something to go wrong. But I always enjoyed going on those flights. I was never, well, I shouldn't say never. <laughs> when I was like five years old, I, my parents were taking us to Disney and I was telling my family, that I was like scared to go down the jet bridge. And uh, my dad just looked at the whole family. He's like, all right, guys, we're not going to Disney. Rich is scared to go down the jet bridge. Just like embarrassed me. Uh, but that's just kind of how my dad is. You know, he's, he's cool. And he, he likes to push us past our, our mental boundaries um, and keep us moving, you know, build our confidence. But so anyway, I shouldn't say never was afraid, but once I got on there, I loved it. And I always got the window seat when we would go places as a kid. So I always enjoyed it. Uh, but definitely more confident now knowing how everything works and and understanding how they actually go through the air for sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's just too, one too many times of watching like I think it's a show on TV called Air Disasters. But the way mm. my brain works, like I I like you have a weird like I dream a lot about flying. I enjoy that sensation of flying when I'm up in the air and I'm cruising, I love nothing more. I could sit on a, a flight all the way to Hawaii and just gaze out the window. To me, the views of flying are just, I think it's underappreciated. I think people take it for granted, especially if you fly a lot. Um, and I, I, I say I unfortunately fly a lot, but I think fortunately I fly a lot. I get it. I get to experience that often. Um, but there's still this part of me where I think about, probably because I don't know enough about flying all the things that could potentially go wrong. And so I'm, I'm like, is this pilot? Like, is he in the right state of mind? Is he tired? Is the plane, the guy outside, was he checking it? It, Is, is this thing like all contingent on him having paid attention this morning? And then I see the people and I'm like, Oh God, I'm, I'm so screwed. Right. Like, and then you realize (laughs) that you're safer flying than you are driving statistically speaking right so it's um i don't know maybe maybe that's why it's my ignorance as to not understanding flight uh but yeah i don't know i i don't i would be probably overthinking a lot if i tried to fly yeah there's a lot to it um but i like to tell people that once you're up there it's actually a lot easier than driving (laughs) there's just a lot less to run into you know there's the takeoffs and the landings and all of the knowledge you have to have that's really where all the the studying comes in and then we have to do a lot of flight maneuvers and stuff which accounts for a lot of the studying and practicing as well but as far as actually just straight and level crews it's pretty easy you know you 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 push forward the houses they get bigger you pull back the houses get smaller you know <laughs> it's not rocket science really but 
Um, I, yeah, I would say that I would, I feel safer flying an airplane than I do driving on the highway for sure. Just, just out of my experience. Yeah. That's, that's really actually refreshing to hear. Uh, cause I can tell you mean it, which, <laughs> which makes me feel a lot better. Um, wow. What kind of airplane are you flying typically? Uh, so for the past two years, I've primarily been flying the Cessna 172 Skyhawk. It's just a single engine trainer airplane. I was instructing for the last two years to build hours. So that was um, the trainer airplanes were primarily what I was flying. Uh, but moving to the airlines now, I'll be flying the E-170 and E-175 regional jets. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, I was going to ask you, I've seen the videos where it looks like you're you'll have like what looks like a 15 year old kid in some senses, like <laughs> sitting next to you, taking off with the controls and then you'll regain control at certain points in time. So is that like a setup in that trainer plane where you have the ability to take over the, the flight controls if that person's like unable? Exactly. Yes. They have uh, dual controls. So at any point I can um, take them back from the student and there's no, there's no flip that we switch or anything. We just kind of, it's all through communication. We call it closed loop communication. We have to, we have a very specific procedure we follow when switching back and forth. So there's no communication about who's flying the plane. Uh, it can make for some interesting situations though, because uh, you, sometimes if someone locks up and, and, you know, isn't willing to, let off the controls you could find yourself in a bad situation one of my professors at liberty told the story when he was instructing that one of his students was this big jacked buff guy and they were doing a takeoff and the guy locked up and just started pitching back way too far and the airplane was going to stall and the, and the guy the instructor my my professor kept saying my controls my controls and the guy wouldn't let go so eventually my 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 teacher just went over and punched the guy right in the face and he finally let go and then uh, he was able to get the controls back but wow. i always that story stuck with me and and um i always had that one in the back pocket ready to go if needed <laughs> Jeez. i mean is there a contingency plan and in, in something like that i mean i i'd imagine there are scenarios where you are putting a lot of trust in somebody where even though you have the ability to switch the controls i, I mean is there moments where the wrong action could really be, I hate to say catastrophic, but could put you into a, a spot where then you are in a, in a really, you know, not ideal situation. Definitely. I would say that's one of the hardest things about instructing for sure is just knowing when to retake the controls, mm. how far to let the student go to let them learn the lesson. But, you know, you don't want to let it get too far where it's dangerous and, and, you know, where, that you scare them, you know, or you scare yourself even. Now I'm going the opposite direction because I'm sitting here thinking you've been doing this for five years and you're making that decision. And, and I guess I, I've watched your videos and quite honestly, I'm shocked that you've been only flying for five years because you come across so calm, collected in a lot of situations that you've highlighted through your clips, which I don't know, maybe you share a little bit. Is that what prompted you to leverage social media the way that you do, because it's very clever. I think you've, you've created yourself as a thought leader. I mean, heck, I, I found you, I was interested as somebody who's interested in a lot of things, but flying something that just does catch my attention. You've found a unique way to share information on social media um, and highlight these scenarios a lot. Like I've seen you stall the plane out on purpose, which I'm like, Jesus, like, you're up in the air with a, a kid that's learning to fly and you're like turning the airplane off, which I'm sure is a valuable lesson. Um, it, it's something that actually is really important to, to have to work through, but yeah, again, just like scary as shit. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I want to start by saying thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy the videos and, and yeah. uh, your compliment. It means a lot to me. I appreciate that. And, I would say on the first, the first way I'll answer that question is the stalling of the plane is actually required part of the training. Many people don't realize that. So um, as scary as it may look from, from the ground, um, 
I do that all day, every day. <laughs> so, so help me understand what would happen in that scenario. Let's say you're up there, you're cruising and training just right. You stall the plane out and it will not start. Are you able to glide the plane at that point or does not having the propulsion really prohibit your ability to maneuver in the air safely? Yes. So the scenario that you're speaking of is an engine failure, right? So in an engine failure, um, the plane specifically that I was flying, the 172, can glide for miles, miles and miles. So if you're, let's say, at 10,000 feet, you could probably glide that thing for like 15 miles before you actually hit the ground. So, you know, you got time to find a field, find an airport, that sort of thing. Now, now this is a common misconception. The stall is actually has nothing to do with the engine. When we talk about stalls, it's actually an aerodynamic stall. So basically the wings are, um, you know, at such an angle that we lose airflow over them and lose lift so that the plane actually does want to kind of drop out of the sky, but it has nothing to do with the engine. It just, we lose lift under the wings. And uh, that's what we are, we're practicing a lot. We also practice the engine failure a lot as well, but the, uh, the stalls specifically, we practice for prevention to teach them how to prevent it from happening. We practice way up at altitude. And so they can practice, feel what it feels like when you get close to it, feel what it feels like to recover from it. And that way, when they're flying low to the ground during takeoffs and landings, they don't find themselves in that situation. Or if they do find themselves getting near to that situation, they know exactly how to fix it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, completely that, different than what I yeah. would have thought that it was. Yeah. And, and for the second part of your question about social media, I started making videos because I wanted to kind of bring up the next generation of pilots. Um, I found that... At, I didn't really have a mentor to help me through the process, which is actually why it took me so long. So five years is an above average time to get from zero to airlines. And really, it's a combination of factors. I lived in like four different states and moved around to different flight schools. And that adds time to your training. I also took a lot of gaps in there as well at times. Um, but all those, all those same things also attributed to what you were saying about how I can be calm, cool, and collected because I saw a lot of different things at all those different schools. I got a lot of different perspectives from different instructors that I wouldn't have got if I just stayed at one school and finished in a year and a half like some of these uh, other people coming up are, are doing at these accelerated schools. So you know, it's pros and cons, right? It took more time, but I learned a lot and I was able to give back and help people along the way. And yeah, I think really, I kind of just <laughs> got a little bit lucky. I knew I wanted to make videos and there wasn't many people doing it for aviation. And there definitely wasn't a lot of people doing it on short form. And so I, I really just kind of found a gap and I kind of found a system that worked and I just pushed it until it didn't work anymore. And then I pivoted and pushed again and yeah. just like anything really, but um, that's kind of how it happened. There's a couple of people that I've followed. I'd be interested. Like, do you follow other pilots on social definitely. media? Oh there's, yeah, definitely. There's a girl. I don't know why I know this. Cause I don't, I don't, I actually deleted TikTok. Um, but I remember when I had TikTok, she had a plane, she called little red little red i don't know mm. if you know who i'm talking about oh yeah oh okay. i know she had a cool she, she had a really cool page and i always like was whenever i thought about her page i thought about your page i was like you guys were kind of one and the same and in, in that you were doing similar things um there's another girl her name is taylor robinson i think i know she she actually flies i i want to say like lear jets um privately maybe for like a service um company but another page like very social media centric. And I just, I get such a kick out of that. And then the other guy that I followed, he got in a lot of trouble because he flew his plane and it was somewhere in California over a mountain range. And he at the time made it seem like it was not 
intentional, but he had engine failure and he parachuted out of the airplane and the plane crashed into the mountain range. And after like a year and a half, I think he finally admitted that he did that on purpose. He was a, an Olympic snowboarder, I believe. Um, yep. I can't remember his name, but I know it was Trevor Jacobs. <laughs> yes. Trevor Jacobs. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember following that story for a while and I was like, the whole time I'm like, there's no way he didn't do this on purpose. And then again, I'm like, I don't know enough about any of this stuff. So for me, I'm, I'm ignorant, but I saw like kind of transpired that looked like he got maybe facing some serious time too. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he got charged. He, he lost all of the certifications and he got charged. I think he might be in jail. I mean, he, if he, if he's not, he paid a lot of bail and he's waiting a court date or something like that. But I can, I can tell you for sure that he did not follow the proper protocols. He didn't even try to restart the engine. He could have glided the plane down. He had a lot of different options rather Somebody than just jumping like out a of trained it. pilot could watch that and instantly know something's fishy. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Wow. So what is the most, I mean, even just in five years, have you had any moments where your nerves have been tested because of something that's occurred while you've been flying? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Instructing. So the most recent one that comes to mind is I was, I actually caught this on video, which is crazy. Uh, but I was flying a couple of my friends and we were flying up at Grove city airport and I was demonstrating for, for one of my friends, a power off landing. So you kind of take the power, cut it off when you're in the pattern in, you know, kind of coming in for a landing basically. Um, and you just glide the plane in and try and hit a specific point on the runway. It's an accuracy landing. And so I was kind of like showing off to my friends a little bit, all safe. I was doing everything the right way. We, you know, I, I teach this stuff all the time, but I was just kind of demoing for friends that didn't know anything about it and kind of explaining what was going on. And when you do that, you set the trim, the trim wheel set way up. So the plane kind of sits at the glide point and can glide down to the runway without power. Um, and when we landed, my friends switched seats. And so my other friend came up into the front seat to try a takeoff. And I forgot to reset the trim. So when my friend went to take off, I was talking him through it and everything. The plane was still trimmed to be at a nose up attitude. So whenever we left the ground, he pulled up a little too hard, just naturally because he'd, he'd never done it before. And on top of that, was the already, nose uh, was already trimmed up. So we, we were, oh, and the stall horn started going off. And I just quickly grabbed the controls and, and pushed the nose down, and we were fine. Uh, but it was definitely a little bit of, uh, you know, a check yourself type of moment, check your pants type of moment. Um, you know, so that, that is probably the most recent one. That was, I think that was uh, last summer. And, uh, yeah, so that was a, that was a good one. But other than that, I really didn't have too much that went on. There was a few other small moments instructing, but really the other nerve wracking moments were kind of the first solos that I did in my own training, flying the plane by myself for the first time and then flying it for the first cross country flight I did. I flew from Maryland up to New Jersey and back by myself. That was a weird one. Just, just, you know, nothing went wrong, but just, you know, everything's a big deal and you're kind of, you're on edge a little bit. So, yeah. Have you, have you flown at nighttime? Yes. Yeah. I had to get a lot of night hours to get to the point where I am now where I'm qualified to go to the airlines. So, yeah, I flew a lot at night. I actually just went down to Florida for about a month and only flew at night for like 25 hours wow. <laughs> just to build the time up that I needed. Yeah, that to me would be the thing I would think. I would imagine you have to trust a lot into your instruments and really, you know, are you able, How I guess, what is the visibility when you're up there at nighttime, even like a partially cloudy day? Is it a lot of just kind of hoping that your gauges are right? Is there any way to, aside from your instrumentation, like how would you know where and what you're doing up there? Yeah, it's a lot of trusting your instruments for sure. You can sort of see the horizon and you can see like, it depends on where you are too. I mean, 
if you're at a spot that has a lot of lights on the ground, it's a lot easier to kind of tell, okay, there's the horizon and there's where the stars start. You know, you can kind of get a general reference of where you are. Uh, but even then you're trusting your instruments pretty much for all your altitude and for your heading and everything. Uh, but there's some days where it's cloudier or you're in a spot where there's no lights and it's just pretty much pitch black. So you're, you're basically just looking inside the whole time. Yeah. I imagine like flying over top of the Pacific ocean in the middle of the night it, to me, just emptiness, right? Just knowing everybody on the plane's asleep, you and your co-pilot, I would imagine you're both awake, have to be both awake, flying, just staring out over nothing. I don't know. It yep. seems, seems cool as shit. If the moon, imagine like a big full moon, I'm just, I'm probably painting like a pilot's dream. But <laughs> yeah. Very- yeah. The instrument rating is really where you, you gain your skills for that. That's a whole separate certification. Uh, that you have to, or really a rating, but yeah, you get it. And then um, that's how you, that's how you learn it. You learn how to just trust your instruments and you can land even uh, without looking outside. You kind of follow a a map all the way down to a certain altitude. And if you don't break out of the clouds at that point, then you have to just fly back up again and try a different airport. Uh, But yeah, you can pretty much fly around without looking at all if you really wanted to on a cloudy day. That's really cool. Very, very cool. So the, the route then is commercial airlines. You want to fly for the big boys, like uh, a 737 or a 767, or I guess what what would be the goal for you? That's a great question. I am actually not 100% sure yet as far as if I'm going to go to the to the big leagues or not. My my ultimate goal is just to to not have to work <laughs> for anyone and have my own businesses be successful enough that i have passive income mailbox money and can fly for fun that's my ultimate goal uh, whether i accomplish that before i get to the point where i'm flying for american airlines or not i i'll let you know <laughs> yeah but no, uh, I, I i ask because it's you've gone this route with social media and i i feel like you've kind of almost dipped your toe into this if you think about today, there's, there's an ability to do and be as successful, not necessarily even needing to fly for a commercial airline, right? Like some of the people that I've talked about, I'm sure have been able to make a lot of money doing what they love. Maybe it's through YouTube, maybe it's through just monetizing their flight ability in a different way. Right. But you could be a backcountry pilot taking people on elk hunts in alaska but you kind of get my point you could be doing all kinds of different things even in a private sector and being unique in the the fact that you've kind of already built this foundation of your journey online and in, in that way i think you could a lot easier lean into that kind of direction and be untraditional with this you know uh, i mean because you've got a big social media following Right. So it's you keep doing that. I think people would be interested to follow what you're doing, um, where it might be a little bit off of the beaten path and hence the ability to even document it. Because I don't how if you wanted to continue to do social media, would you be able to do that at a large airline? Or is that something that they're really not allowed to do a lot of like capturing of what they're doing in a cockpit working for a large company like that? There's definitely people that do it. There's there's certain limitations that they have. I won't be able to film in the style that I used to when I was instructing, where you get the audio from inside the airplane and everything. All of that is is um, is not really going to be available. But I fully intend to continue to make videos, maybe just in a different style, explaining the job, explaining you know where I'm traveling to, talking about the things that I'm passionate about fully intend to continue doing that. And I, I, that's what you said is pretty much the plan. I plan to just keep expanding and, and try and bring people along the journey and, and help the next people up and, and you know, um, whatever that looks like at each stage. So if I get to a point where the businesses that I've created are successful enough that I no longer need to fly for an airline, then I will start making videos about how I did it. 
and I'll help people do that. And that will be kind of the next thing. I just, I just like helping people. It makes me feel fulfilled. And it's, I feel like that's kind of really my ultimate mission is just to help the next guy along and, and be a mentor to people and um, do that in the best way that I know how. And right now, the thing that I'm best at is flying. And that's kind of like the core of it. But I think that could change over time, depending on where I'm at in life. Life is long. I'm young. I got a lot of time to learn. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the plan. <laughs> that's really cool. Any thoughts as somebody who flies on all of the UFO discussion? I'm sure your friends all ask you like, hey, have you seen anything? What's your take on other pilots who say they have? Is there chatter? You know, you, you talk about some of the crazy stories your your professors and probably instructors have told you, you know, have any of those stories made their ways to your ears over the, the course of time? Yeah, I I believe that they're real. I don't know if it's aliens or the government or what, but I, there's definitely something out there that we haven't really seen yet. It hasn't fully been unveiled as far as officially what the government has. And um I've seen some stuff never in the air. I've, I have a cabin up in Pennsylvania. It's well, you would probably be familiar. It's up near Clarion area yeah. in Siegel, Pennsylvania. And um, the stars are, are really bright there. You can see a lot of the night sky and there's not a lot of light pollution. And so we'll go up there. We'll see some stuff, man. <laughs> we see, uh, we see stuff every once in a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's unidentified, right? You don't, don't know what it is. But it's it's one of those things where I'm I'm hesitant to say that it's aliens <laughs> because I just really don't know. And um, so that's this big question mark where it came from. But I definitely think the government has it now, wherever it came from. And I think that they are purposefully keeping it from us for whatever reason. So that's about where I'm at with it. As far as people I know personally that have seen stuff in the air. I do have a friend that flies for an airline who said that he has seen one in the air, but it, he didn't have any like crazy, you know, experiences yeah. where he felt any crazy overwhelming joy when it went past the airplane or any, anything that's like that. He just, he just said he saw something weird when they were flying and, and it only was there for like five seconds or 10 seconds and it was gone. It what about like weather balloons or other things that you know that there is an explanation for, but do you, do you cross paths with things like that often like drones or balloons or anything, or is that just as few and far between as unidentified objects? Yeah. I've never personally had much experience with that. And if I did, I didn't know what it was. So it would be hard for me to be able to pinpoint, you know, <laughs> aircraft weather balloon from a distance who knows um but okay. yeah the my experience personally it just looked like it was stars that were moving in formation in the sky um when I, what i saw the the multiple times that i saw it at my cabin um i mean that's it, i don't know that's kind of in line with what they say the phoenix lights were right i mean it was they kind of looked like stars that were moving in formation over arizona yeah yeah, I, I uh, have. You, have you seen the Starlink? Have you seen that yet? I have. Yeah, the I, I've seen it. I haven't seen it personally, but I've seen a number of people post videos where they're like, you know, what the hell's going on? And I've now that I've seen it enough times, when somebody posts it, I'm like, oh, that's the Starlink satellite. Yeah, I have seen that in person, and I will say it looks a lot like what I saw as far as a UFO goes. Uh, but the difference is the Starlinks that I saw, and from what I can tell online, they're always in a line, and they fly kind of, um, you know, on the same flight path, maybe, you know, a couple inches, if you're looking at it, at you know, in the sky, a couple inches apart from each other, um, in a line. And the ones that I saw were just completely on their own, and then they would come and converge together and fly all different directions, and then fly back away from each other, so... Um, they looked similar, but they acted completely different in the sky. So, yeah, that's about so, all I got for you. You're giving me goosebumps a little bit because the, I, I too, have seen something. Don't know what it was. Um, I was actually – it's a funny story because my wife 
uh, at the time was not 21 and we were on our way to a casino to gamble. And I was with my grandmother and her brother, my great uncle and his wife were in a car in front of us. So it was my, myself, my wife, my grandmother in my vehicle, my uncle and his wife in the car in front. We're driving on a, on a highway in a very remote portion of uh, just over the Pennsylvania border in New York state on an Indian reservation heading towards a casino. And there was this weird light cluster that was kind of doing a very similar thing on the horizon. And after about a minute of me noticing this and mentioning it to my grandmother and my wife, it got very bright and like kind of focused onto a bright light and like off, like instantly shot across the sky. And like, we all stopped and looked at each other and we're like, did you just seriously see what that thing just did? And before we finished talking about it, my phone started ringing and it was my uncle in the car ahead of us. And he was like, did you guys just see that? So like instantly made us all kind of think what the hell happened. And there were other people in town that talked about seeing something shoot across the sky. And so it's like, to your point, who knows, right? I mean, technology in and of itself, when I think about flying, I've heard people say how quickly we went from the Wright brothers flying to, I mean, it was 50 years, maybe not even 50 years, 30 years. And we were dropping nuclear bombs out of an airplane in over top of Japan, just in, in my lifespan, I'm, I'm 37. Right. So it's like in the length that my life has been here, that was a real interesting way to say that. Right. But as in the length of time that I've been alive, we went from getting a plane off the ground to dropping a nuclear bomb out of it. So then to think from the forties to that would have been in the mid 2000, like 2007, 2008 timeframe, 15 years ago. What kind of technology don't we know about? I'm more on the side that it's probably us than it is. And I do believe that there's intelligent life out there. I just, I struggle to, to draw the line from intelligent life gets all the way through the entire universe that we can't do, but then they, they wreck their UFO here. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I yeah, find that I'm hard with, to believe. I'm with you. you know, it's like you I'm, made it all the way from how many galaxies and, you know, a lightning storm over top of Topeka, Kansas brought you down. Like, ah, uh, I don't know. Maybe. It's a cool story to think, right? But I almost think that the scarier story is that China or Russia or even the U.S. has capabilities that leave someone like Lieutenant David Fravor, the fighter pilot who saw the Tic Tac off of the coast of San Diego with the Nimitz. If we have technology or another country has technology that can truly fool because i believe he see he saw what he saw and if it can fool somebody with that level of experience and probably knowledge about things that you and i don't have knowledge about so he's working from a perspective that's already enhanced and he's freaked out and thinks that it's an alien i'm that to me scares the shit out of me if that's china russia or some other country way more than the fact that if it was aliens they've they've existed the whole time that humans have been here. And then I, you know, it's creepy, but we're probably okay. But if this is just some new technology that some hostile country has, that's way worse in my opinion than an alien. Yeah. I 100% agree. The part that's weird for me is the sightings that took place in like the thirties and forties early on yeah. back then, because that's what's weird. It's like, did we really have this technology way back then? And we just haven't used it for all this time, almost a hundred years. That part's weird. So that's where it's like, that's where the alien talk really starts to come into play for me. I'm like, that is the only way that that really makes sense to me. But I think now when I'm 100% on the fact that our government definitely has it. And if ours does, there's a really good chance that others do as well. You get the different shapes and everything else. But I wanted to ask you, have you watched any of Dr. Stephen Greer's documentaries or, or anything from him about the alien stuff, UFOs? Dr. Stephen Greer. The name sounds familiar, but I can't say that I have. What's uh, Is there a name of 
something that he's done? Does he have like any specific like documentaries or is he just a researcher where you can go find a lot of his stuff on YouTube? Yeah, he does both. Uh, the documentaries, he has a few good ones. I think the one that I watched is called Encounters of the Fifth Kind oh, or something. Yes. Fourth okay. Kind. Okay. I know that work. I didn't, I couldn't draw his name to it. Are yeah. You, he's an interesting character. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched it. It's interesting stuff. I mean, he, he thinks you can summon them with your brain and all kinds of crazy things. Um, I just like, I'm just, I'm like you, man, I'm curious. I watch all kinds of stuff and I like to kind of get into different rabbit holes and you never know where inspiration is going to strike. So I like to kind of see other people's work and, yeah, I find that topic very, very interesting, specifically since I saw that stuff that I saw. So yeah. since then, I've kind of dug a little deeper and and seen some things as far as documentaries. And there's a uh, I'm sure you've probably at least heard of this guy. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he claims he worked at Area 51 and oh, Bob and Lazar. Bob yeah. Lazar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one. You think he's a. You think he's a liar? You think he's telling the truth? This is quite I, a controversy. I think Bob Lazar definitely did something with the government. I think that there's a possibility that I think there's more of a possibility that they fed Bob Lazar full of a bunch of bullshit, knowing that he was going to go and say things or that he could go and say things. And so they put him, they kind of used him to spread things of craziness so that people would kind of say that's not the case. Um, but I also think that there's just a lot of truth to everything that that guy said back in the eighties and he's never changed his story. And interestingly enough, um, and see, this is something cool that you could maybe go into, right? So I was in Las Vegas and I remembered listening to a podcast where they were talking about Area 51 and they were talking about these things called Alice flights, or I'm sorry, Janet flights. I always call them Alice flights. Janet, J-A-N-E-T. Um, and it's like stands for just, I don't know, some sort of acronym. It's supposed to, it's basically like, oh, there's nothing to look at here. But these planes are all white with a red stripe down the side across like the windows. And they fly routinely from, Las Vegas uh, International Airport to Area 51 in Groom Lake. And I was standing in my hotel room this past uh, spring. I was out in Las Vegas for some work. And uh, it was like 7.30 in the morning. I was on the cell phone talking to somebody, getting ready for my day. And I'm like looking and I see this airplane like flying, just taking off in front of me. And it's a white airplane with a red stripe down the side. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a Janet jet. And so I like Google Janet jet schedule and I find all these like conspiracy websites and this one <laughs> pops up and it's like, here's a Janet jet schedule. And sure enough, like to the minute that flight had taken off on that. So the rest of the time in Las Vegas, whenever I was in my room, I just had that web page up on my laptop and I would like go over and I'd be like, is there a Janet flight? And I'd look and like clockwork, that flight would take off, dude. And I would see the, the white airplane. I have a video of it. And it would take off and head off in the direction of of uh, Area 51. And it's no secret there's people there. And I think it's it's not discussed and talked about, but it's not hidden any longer. But I mean, right there, how cool is that to be a, a pilot that's flying scientists, people like Bob Lazar, who, if we believe those stories, you'd be a pilot flying people that have possibly the craziest secrets or some of the craziest secrets on human of mankind. You know, and you're just dropping them off every Friday, you know, with their little brown paper bag and they hop off and like waddle into back engineer a UFO or, you know, look at an alien brain or some shit. Yeah, that's why yeah, that's what I think about, too. If they if they were flying them and Bob Lazar was telling the truth and they were flying them back then, how much better are they at flying them now? How many more do they have? They definitely figured out how to back engineer them by now. And that's what I feel like we're probably seeing around and seeing up in space. And, you know, then you start thinking about the space force. <laughs> well, <laughs> then we're I, getting into that. It's like, all right. Yeah. I mean, not to go crazy, but right. Like I grew up, I grew up very in a, in a religious family. I've talked a lot about this on the podcast. So I apologize if people are so sick of me saying that, but religion is something that I haven't, I have a weird relationship with because I've, I've kind of come full circle and I believe there's there's too many things that 
line up for this to all be a weird random coincidence of elements combining in the universe to me that's that can't be what it is but i also i have a hard time believing what my you know religious ed teacher talked to me about when i was in fourth grade i just i think that it's something different and we're way too primitive to have the comprehension of it but if you think about aliens right we are different than absolutely everything we're kind of like primates but we're we've developed way past all other you know lower hominids so to speak and they've all like kind of stalled out there's something about us that changed and there's a lot of strange depictions when you look back at older cultures that show um there's one in particular where it's i i believe it's it's an angel or some depiction of a, a religious christ-like person that's holding a monkey with a tail um and then I, it may have like an alien head if i'm not mistaken um but the inference is that aliens actually came and genetically modified primates to develop humans and so when you think about like religion all has this commonality no matter where everybody lives that is the weird thing about religion it's like hmm like it all kind of has the same root and then culturally depending on where you've lived and the things that have happened in those times they've evolved to align with cultural kind of symbolism but they all kind of come back to this sense of like kind of birth from nothing and when you start to think about the fact that aliens are now this thing we talk about like maybe religion is this kind of thing that was created as a way to fill the vacuum vacuum from extraterrestrial beings that maybe in some way shape or form are responsible for our existence to begin with and that's god like aliens are god and uh, i don't know I've, I've thought about that a lot more and then you see these things like um there's a great documentary called um moment of contact if you've if you've seen that it's about a an incident that happened in the 90s in brazil where this town in brazil virginia brazil multiple people like the, the whole town everybody says that they saw it there was a bad storm and there was an alien crash that happened and the military actually came and a man in the military young man took these beings multiple people took him but he picked one of them up um, and they took it to multiple hospitals and this guy ended up dying of a bacterial infection it's a documented case where this guy got really sick and they didn't know what happened to him and he passed away but they say that the U.S. government flew into Brazil slightly after and took the body and all the crass wreckage. But they have like interviews of people that were crying in this thing. It's like either I'm completely sold up the river with this great acting or it's something that happened in the 90s when information was not able to be spread as quickly and now is out there but like the town has a ufo in the center of it it's it's wild wild shit the documentary is pretty compelling it's not it's not some crazy stuff like if you watch it you're like okay <laughs> this is making me feel a little bit uncomfortable um and i wasn't thinking i thought it was going to be a little like over the top if i'm honest when i started to watch it but yeah look at that i mean we start talking about flying and we we dive into ufos which maybe that's fitting but I can talk about this all day, man. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. I was when you were saying the stuff about the um the alien DNA getting put into humans, there's actually um you know, if you if you think about aliens as spiritual beings or potentially, you know, angels or demons being considered alien to humans, there's actually cases uh written in the Bible about the Nephilim and how there was, you know, demons or um, fallen angels that you know interacted with female humans and and you know you had these offspring that would come about called the nephilim so there's you know there's actually oddly enough you know religious texts that go into that in detail so um yeah i don't think you're too far off there i think it's definitely could be some spiritual beings for sure yeah, I mean, it it does. Like when you first say stuff like that, it kind of comes across silly, right? And if you're a serious person, I know I would. Like at first, even somebody as open-minded as me, you're going to laugh, right? You're going to be like, oh, come on. But think about the things that we don't bat an eye about. I mean, people talk about Bigfoot, but then we, we, we are like, hey, yeah, but there are sharks in the ocean. 
there's octopus. Have you ever watched an octopus that like changes its color instantaneously and can also fit inside of a keyhole? I mean, those things are aliens, right? I mean, there's so much that we don't understand. And yet we're so pompous when we talk about when somebody would say like, oh, religion may actually angels and demons and people are like, oh, shut up. Come on. Now you're getting all like goofy on me. Right. But no, it's uh, to me. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting things. And I'm I'm excited. I think we're in a, a really exciting point in human history where if we don't blow ourselves up in the next couple of years, we might get to see a lot of cool shit. Definitely. Yeah. They've been hinting at it in the media for, for the last two years, just kind yeah. of spreading little breadcrumbs. So yeah, we'll see what happens with it, but they're definitely hinting at something. So we'll see what comes of it for sure. Yeah, very much so. Well, listen, Rich, this has been a blast. Um, if I would have known you were as into UFOs as this, I would have spent the whole time talking about it, but I, I appreciated the journey. I'd, I'd love to maybe just ask you this and kind of closing this out as you know, if somebody listens to this and they get inspired, they want to learn to fly. What would be the number one, two, three things that you would tell them to make that as successful as a pursuit as possible and to get it going, you know, to get no pun intended, but to be able to like get it off the ground where they don't kind of just hit a brick wall and never get the chance to do it. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I would say the biggest thing is just know what you're getting into from the start. So do your research. I can give a brief overview here. You're basically going to expect to spend about 12000 on the initial private pilot certification. So the answer basically could be two-part because it depends on how far they want to go with it. Do they want to be a private pilot where they can fly for fun and, and take their friends and family flying around, buy their own airplane, and just use it for recreational purposes, or is their goal to be an airline pilot? So if their goal is to be a private pilot, I would say just find a local flight school, get yourself a discovery flight, make sure that the school that you sign up for, if you are interested and you, and you have a good time on the initial flight, make sure the school has a lot of planes and instructors, because if you're if your instructor leaves for the airlines, it's really nice to have another one as a backup. And the uh, same thing goes for the planes. If one breaks, it's really nice to have another one around to be able to train. in. if you're trying to finish or you have a test coming up or, you know, basically it, it can, it can end up costing you a lot more money the longer it takes. So that would be my advice is study a lot on the ground. You're going to want to study for all your flights before you go to it. And try and schedule as many as you can uh, in a short period of time because the longer you take between lessons, the more you forget. So that advice that I just gave in that last little paragraph there could be for any type of training you do, whether you do it for the private pilot certification or you find yourself wanting to be an airline pilot, you can take that all the way. Um, now, if you want to be an airline pilot, the type of school that you might want to choose and the options you have change. Uh, a lot of people have been going to accelerated schools. These are schools that can get you done in less than a year, all the way from the beginning where you have no training at all, zero experience, all the way to the point where you are a commercial pilot and a flight instructor. Um, so I would say my advice for someone that is either switching careers and trying to get into this, or maybe they're in high school and they're thinking that they want to make this their career. I think at this point in the, in the training environment, I would suggest picking a school that has an uh, accelerated program and can get them done quickly uh, to get them into the airlines as soon as possible to be making more money and to have more time on their hands and, you know, to start their career as soon as possible. That would be my advice. And there's a huge need right now for airline pilots, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. Yep. There's a huge shortage. So really, the quicker you can get in, the better it will be. Uh, you want to fill that shortage while they have it. And that's where you're really going to be rewarded well for it. No, very, very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, man, I'm going to be certainly following the the journey. Um, are you going to be back in the area often or are you kind of gone from Pittsburgh and on to the next, the next chapter for good? I'll be gone for three months for training. 
And then when I'm done with that and I'm officially an airline pilot, I will be based in Pittsburgh and flying out of here for the next at least three years. So oh, wow. that's kind of the plan. So we'll see. We'll see. There's not a hundred percent guarantee that I'm going to get Pittsburgh right away. So I might have to go somewhere else for a couple months or whatever, and then come back here. But yeah, I should be able to get it pretty soon. It's all based on seniority. So oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations and, and good luck with everything. Stay safe. Um, I'll be certainly, like I said, following along the journey. The uh, Instagram, it's rich underscore Rafferty, correct? Yes, there's actually two underscores. <laughs> oh, okay. The, two the underscores. Sing, the single underscore was taken. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You can check out my stuff there, and then if someone does really want to get started flying, I would say that's a great place to start too. I have a lot of resources on my yeah. website for my Instagram that they could check out. Um, but yeah, yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on, and and I appreciate the the well wishes. And yeah, I had no, a lot of fun, I'm, Justin. I'm glad that we were able to get this thing together. I kind of, I looked at your page and was going to reach out many times, just busy trying to do things. And then I'm, I don't know, maybe it was just fate, right? Uh, for some reason I was like, I'm going to hit him up. And I'm, I'm very glad that I did. This was a, a really great conversation and uh, appreciated you taking the time tonight, buddy. This was awesome, Justin. Thanks awesome. again, man. Thanks.